Well, guess where we're going to be at tonight teaching? Prize for that guy. All right. Well, we're going to find out tonight if this is one of my spiritual gifts. I don't know. It's a first time for everything, but I am excited to do this. At first, I was a little nervous, but to be honest with you, I really am not because I know I'm amongst friends here. I might struggle a little bit at first, going slow as far as what we're doing, but I was thinking about what shall I, I entitle this message? And I, as everyone knows here, Mary's a pharmacist, and she brings my prescriptions home. I'm diabetic. And one of my prescriptions that on there, it says, I just noticed here tonight, it says, shake before use. I said, that's what this message is going to be about. Because Jonah had to be shaken before he could be used. He, had, he knew, he was a man of God. He knew God, and you're going to see later on in the chapters, he really knew God. He knew that he was a forgiving God. He knew that he, he was a loving God. But yet Jonah, that sometimes it feels like he's going to get it, and then he, he gets out of this, whatever he is in, this, this whale or whatever it is, and you think, oh, he's learned his lesson. But no, and I'm like, well, how does that refer to us? We do the same thing. We think we go through a trial or we, we, the Lord tells us to do something. Nah, I'm not going to, I'm going to run. I'm not, I'm going, or we hide ourselves in church or even in activities that could be churchy activities. I'll use that word churchy. We hide ourselves in that, but we're really not doing what the Lord says. So I'm going to start in prayer before we go. And Our Father and our God, I thank you, Lord, for teaching me. I thank you for Calvary Chapel and my friends here. I just give this to you, Lord. Teach, speak through me and help me to glorify you in what I do and help this message to get across to all of us. Amen. So the title of the message is Shake Before Use. And if, before I get into anything, so I want to go over a few details. First of all, Jonah, the name means dove, which is another symbol for a messenger. And his experience is a type of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus likened to himself. In fact, in Matthew um, twelve thirty-nine through 41, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So you see here the Lord is showing them that the Jonah is the only Old Testament book that revives exclusively around the Gentile. So he is, therefore he is the only prophet whose ministry is entirely on foreign soil. And another thing is we're going to find out he hated the Ninevites. And when I get into this, we're going to talk about the Ninevites and what they were like and when I, when I do studies, I want to try to find out, well, how does this relate to us today? Who would they be the, the Ninevites? Who would they be today? Well, I know years ago it would have been the Nazis. Now you have ISIS and how we feel about them and what's being fed to us and why we hate them. So are we like a Jonah? Do we hate these type of people? Or do we have the mind of Christ or the mind of God to, to love them? And we don't. Deep down, we really don't. We, we say, yeah, well, we pray for them. But meanwhile, we want justice. So Jonah wants justice, but God wants to 
to salvation. You see, and we, we're, we're the type that want, we want to see, well, when we get to heaven, we want to be sit back there and watch God judge all these people and have our popcorn ready and say, yeah, I want to be part of this. I'm going to watch these guys fry, man, because these guys were some pretty bad people. Look at what the, the Nazis did. I mean, there are some horrible, horrible, horrible people. And these things that we see, and we're being fed throughout the news today of all the horrible things that they're doing to children, to babies. And when I hear that, I just tear up because especially children, I mean, anyone just touches or harms a child, it just drives me crazy. And I don't know if I have the heart like like God does, and I think that's what I want to learn here tonight. Do we have the the, the mind of forgiveness? And uh, I think a lot of times we don't. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And I'm going to do this Calvary style, verse by verse. And I'm thankful for Mike for doing, for doing this because he taught me. Because I asked him, so how do you study? I mean, I really don't know. I'm, I'll be 61 here, and, and I really have not grown that much as far as knowledge. He goes, well, think about who, what, where, how, when you get a book or when you have the topic. So that's what I'm doing, who, what, where. So that's why I'm getting rid of the details. And we're going to start in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their witness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So what's he doing here? All right. This is a map of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is modern-day Iraq, or the city would be actually Mosul. And I hope there's no cats in here. No one brought their cat, did they? <laughs> I did start us from home because you tell us this is Mary's for our cats we have. So you have to excuse me. So here... He is, he's from Gath, and he's supposed to go right up to Nineveh, about 550 miles. So when I saw this, I'm like, you know, there's no train or plane you get on those days. They did a lot of walking, 550 miles. There's no In-N-Out burger on the way. There's no rest stop you can stop out to get anything. I mean, you, you basically did your business in the, the sand or, you know, you, with all the cobras around. I'm, I'm thinking about all the stuff when I'm reading this. Like, you had, to, you, you had a lot of water. These guys must have been in shape, I tell you that. So what's he do? He goes to the, the nearest part. He goes down to Joppa. And then he takes a, he takes a boat way over here. To, well, he attempts to take a boat way over here to Tarshish. Well, you should know that God says, you cannot run from me. And a lot of us try to, whether well, this might not be a whale, but we do run. In fact, this is what some of the Ninevites were like. This is why he didn't like them. This sounds like these guys are putting on a, a resume for like a soldier of fortune or something. And when I read it, I'm like, it says, I destroyed, I demolished, I burned, I took their warriors prisoner and paled them on stakes before their cities. Nice people. Flayed the nobles, if you know what flying is, it's not nice. 
as many as had rebelled and spread their skins out on the piles of dead corpses. Many of them captives I burned in a fire. This guy sounds like he's proud here. I found this book. I don't know how I found this, but I found it. Many I took alive, from some I cut off their hands to the right, from others I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. This guy's proud. This is the way these people were. And here's another one I found from another, I guess, soldier of fortune, whatever you want to call him back then. I slew 260 fighting men. Oh, you're a little bit better than him. I cut off their heads and I made pyramids thereof. I slew one of every two. I built a wall before the great gates of the city. I flayed the chief men of the rebels and I covered their walls with their skins. In a sense, when I hear this, I can understand Jonah. I can understand people now when you're being fed what's going on with ISIS and all these terrible things in the world, how you can hate them. Yeah, you hate the sin, but God tells us to love the sinner. And God has hope for everybody. He is not willing that anybody should perish. So where do I leave off here? Some of them were enclosed alive in the bricks of the wall. I caused a great multitude of them to be flayed in my presence. And I covered the wall with their skins. I gathered together the heads in the form of crowns and their pierced bodies in the form of garlands. All right. We're going to read on from verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his own God and threw the cargo that was into the ship of the sea. I stopped there when I said everyone cried out to their own God. Atheism was not rampant back then. Everybody had a God. It might have been Molech or whatever other names were, but everyone probably didn't work for them, but they all cried out to a God. And Jonah knows God. He knows he's a forgiving God. And in fact, we're going to see later on when he gets into the belly of the whale, he's going to recite a lot of psalms. But the one he, he overlooks and he should know is Psalm 139. So we're going to do some reading here. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot understand it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He knows this. He, he knows the scriptures. He knows this. He just does not want to do this deed, this task that God's telling him to do. Maybe God's telling you something today that you need to be doing. Because when the word he says, go, I am reminded with, go you to in all the world and preach the gospel. That's a command too. But we'll come up with excuses like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go to church. Now, I'll, I'll go to Wednesday night. Or maybe I'll go and I'll, I'll learn you know, about the book of Revelation or something that I think is exciting. Prophecy, you know that. I mean, maybe I'll say hi to a neighbor or something. But we're afraid 
to give the gospel out. And Jonah's, all he had to do was say like eight words to the Ninevites and they could be redeemed. We don't have to say that much more. Do you know that God loves you? Or we can just say that we invite somebody out to church. It's a start. Start a conversation. I've been, I've been in sale for like, like Kevin has like 20 some years. It's all about starting a conversation with somebody. So we're going to read on where I was here. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's wombs. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We all remember that verse. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the numbers of the sand. Think about that. I mean, you can't number the numbers of the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. And I know he knows this one. He wants the wicked slayed. And we do too. If we're honest with ourselves, we want to see this evil conquered. When we hear about this stuff, we want them gone. Just drop a bomb on them. Or, you know, they come to my house, I got a gun. I'll make sure they're done. That's not, I mean, we think that way, but we don't say that, but we actually really think that way because we want to be armed so we can take care of these people that we think it's vengeance is mine, except the Lord, not ours. What is our job? Well, to love one another, to love others. Okay, to edify, to build up, and to go and preach the gospel. The word go comes up again. Go and preach the gospel. Whether it's here, your neighbors, far away, you know if the Lord's calling you or not, if you're, walking, if you're saved. You know if the Lord is calling you. So I think I've got one more set here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So Jonah goes the opposite way. He tries to go 2,200 miles into a ship. Now, our message, as was Jonah's, is one of salvation. So do we harbor a deep hate for those people, or do we have, or do we cry out to God to give us a peace and a love for the lost? Do we have a love for the lost? I don't think we do. I think we say, I know I, in my own heart, I don't think I really do. I, I love everybody here. And if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think we love the unlovely because we're not comfortable with them because it's against what w- dwells within us. It's against the Holy Spirit. And it's so hard 
to have love for that type of person. But that person is going to burn in hell unless they have the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the thing about verse 5 is everyone cry out to their own God. That these people wanted help. And they, they had gods, but their God wasn't worth anything. Only the true living God was. So we're going to go on in verse uh, 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may perish. So I, was, I spent six years in the Navy, so I know what bad storms are like. God prepared a storm for these guys. Let me tell you something. And they, you can get pretty tossed to and fro. And I have been going back and forth doing 40-degree rolls and stuff like that. But do you know what? My brother is a commercial fisherman. And you know what they call somebody? Besides, that's a greenhorn that is bad luck. They call him a Jonah. That, if you ask any commercial fisherman, he's a Jonah. It means What's that mean? He doesn't belong here. Jonah does not belong here. Where does Jonah belong? He belongs going to Nineveh like, to do what God told him to do. Yet, in the back of our minds, we still have that feeling that, you know, I can see Jonah's point, man. I don't, you know, these guys are wicked. Lord, why don't you just drop the bomb? Why just, just, well, there's 120,000 babies, youth in there, who don't know their left hand from their right hand, we're going to find out, and that God has compassion on and we don't look at that. We don't look at the, with the ISIS, with the kids that they're training and to, to shoot and to behead and to sit there. We, we don't look at that. They don't know what's going on. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. They just don't know. We need to have and pray to God to give us that type of heart, that type of love, so that we can reach out to those type of people. So I imagine right now these, these sailors are pretty upset. And then he goes, what are you doing? why is he sleeping? Because it reminds me of Jesus. He was down there sleeping when this storm was too. So he, and he's all the way in the bottom of the boat, and so was Jonah. So, he, so Jonah, I guess he, he figures, oh, I've done this before. This, you know, I, I get, it might be rough and stuff like that, but I don't care. I, I'm going to die anyway because I, I don't want to go to do this. I don't want to do it. This is what I'm thinking. So a lot of this is my opinion. It's not biblical fact, but I, I'm thinking that that's what he's thinking right now. He, he he just he probably wants to commit suicide. He just wants to get away because that's how. Now these um, Assyrians, and by the way, that it is kind of connected with Syria today, not politically, but historically they are affiliated because, it, like I said, it is modern day Iraq and Mosul. But he, I think, he's down to bomb the ship. And he's just like, whatever happens, happens. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going anyway. So, and they said to another, one another, "Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us." A casting lots is like drawing straws. It's almost kind of like gambling. But what do you think is going to happen here? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. I think God had a hand in that. Then they said to him, "Please tell us." For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? I imagine these guys are panicking and they're saying this all real fast, like like real fast. Tell us, whose cause is this trouble upon us? Who is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where's your country? 
they're panicking. So, and what people are you? And so he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of his God, from the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may become for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, when I read this, I'm reminded of when pastor was teaching Samuel that obedience is better than sacrifice. He wouldn't have to be in his position if he was just being obedient. He's willing to sacrifice, but that's not going to do anything. It might save these few guys, these sailors on the ship, but it's not going to save the Ninevites. So sometimes when you think that, well, if I sacrifice this, I'm, going, you know, I'm doing this. Not if you're not obedient to what the word of God says, you're not. You're doing what you think is right in your own eyes, like all men do. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. Then the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Repentance takes, takes place here. I believe at this point these men become saved, not only from the storm, but I believe that when we get to heaven, we will see them. I have no ideas, but maybe they'll introduce themselves to me. Who knows? All right, second, uh, chapter 2 is um, basically Jonah's prayer. In verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, because of my, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and a flood surrounded me, and all your billows and your waves passed over me. Now, remember, Jonah's writing his book after the fact. So I think here, and I could be wrong, and Pastor will uh, correct me if I am later on. But I think here he's editing some things out because I don't think as soon as you get into the well, you have all this prayer, you know, I think you're blub, blub, you know, doing all this panicking. And so I think it's part here, and I don't think he went into, you know, well, here's a good spot back here all the way in the back, and I'll sit back here and I can say my prayer here. No, I think this was done in parts and different ways of... um, so I think he did the panic part first because it says the, the sea was billows all around him. And as far as the whale, or God says he prepared the fish for him. So I think it was a, it's probably either a blue whale, which is a silver bottom whale, which has a, a, a mouth span of anywhere from, I think it's 12 to 30 feet in length. And they don't have teeth. They have a type of, type of, of gummy mandibles and what they do is when they shut their mouth, they have more water in there than, than you can think of. But they eat krill, and what that does is it gets stuck in between like a cone, and they eat like two to four tons of krill a day. So I think God did not want Jonah to be hurt or damaged in any way. He wanted to shake him up. 
he wanted to get his attention. I think he got his attention for a while. So he, he continues his prayer here. Like I said, I think it, this prayer is in different parts all the way up until the end. Then he says, I have cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. Now he's quoting a lot of Psalms here, so he knows the word. They're ripping off of, off of him like left and right. So I'm picturing if, if someone's drowning and you're a Christian, you're like, you're probably saying the Lord's Prayer, you're probably saying all kinds of prayers, it's going to rip right off you. When you know Scripture, it just rips, rips right off you. So uh, he knows Scripture and he knows what God is like. We're going to see that later on. He knows what God is like. So, weeds were wrapped around my head. Nice. I went down into the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up from the life of pit. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. Now, I'm kind of thinking here, I, like, I don't know, my mind wanders like that. My wife says I'm three fries short of a Happy Meal, and I believe I am sometimes. But I kind of think that God put him right back to the same place he went on that. This is where you came on. This is where you get off. I could be wrong. But he just split him right out. Now, the, this type of whale is known for, before they die, will throw up everything that's in its stomach. So it, I could be wrong because God said he prepared a fish. The Greek word it does mean whale. So I could be wrong about the type of whale, but we're getting the point of what the message is about, not necessarily the whale. Okay, chapter 3 is the God of patience and many chances. How many, let me ask you a question. How many chances do you think your job would give you if you decided to get up? I'm not going to go there. I'm going to take a flight. I'm going to go over here, and I'll come back in a couple of weeks. You, 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 think, you think you could still have that job? No, I know I wouldn't. I, I say one thing because I tend to have a big mouth sometimes. Uh, you could be fired. I, I mean, God has so much patience with us. I mean, it is incredible that how many times that he will forgive us, how many times he will continue to love us. He's the great fatherly figure. So we're going to start in verse, chapter 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. It's exactly the same thing. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message I tell you. Now, he changes it up here to the message that he tells him. The first time he just told him to go to Nineveh. Now he tells him what to say, because Jonah probably wants to say things his own way, you know. I can't wait till the God, God kills you and stuff like that. He's going to wipe you out and stuff. But, you know, God has a specific message of what he wants to tell him. And I think this is why God intervenes here and says, Tell them what I tell you to tell them. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. The whole city of Nineveh was three days walk inside there. 
And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. So as, I think after a day in there, he, he, trust me, he's got some attention because if you come out of a whale after three days, and it's been known there have been survivors back in the 1800s and early 1900s of people getting spewed out of whales, surviving for a day or two, they are as white as can be, and their hair is gone. Basically, you would have maybe one or two hairs, hair like that. So I'm sure he's a pretty sight to be walking in. And he probably got their attention. So maybe that's another thing that the God's using. He's, I'm using this to get their attention because you know, just a regular guy walking through a town, how does, how does that word get out? I'm, I'm going to say he ate these eight words and these people are going, I don't think Joan is still believing him at this point. Then, so he began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all he had to say. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed to fast, and put on sackcloth. Now, if you don't know what sackcloth is, back in those days, picture yourself with no shirt on and putting one of those rugs that you wipe your feet off on and go back and forth and, and wearing that around you. It's not comfortable. It were, or like a burlap-type bag, which was very coarse back then. I didn't have all the, the stuff to refine it out like you do nowadays. But it was very uncomfortable, and they did it for that reason. They figured, why should I be uncomfortable? Why should I be comfortable for the things that I've done? So that was their way of repentance. So this is true repentance happening from the Ninevites here. This is a miracle. I mean, I'm thinking about this. Noah, I mean, uh, Noah preached for how many days and no one believed him at all and he had to take off of all the animals and no one else but his family? This guy comes in and says eight words. Eight words and, they're all, and they all believed? This is crazy. So the people of Nineveh believed, proclaimed to fast, put on the sackcloth and the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The king. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, I find this interesting, nor beast, nor herd, nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? This is true repentance here. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented. Some ones will be saying repented from their uh, disaster that he had said he would do. Repentance means change of mind. It does not mean, God, oh, I'm sorry, okay, I'll go do this. God's not sorry for him. God's perfect. He knows everything that's going on. Repentance means change of mind. And when people come to the Lord... They can't, people say, you got to turn from your sin. 
You cannot turn from your sin if you're, uh, if you're not saved. You, you have to be washed and born again. Then you can start, after we become saved, then we can turn from our sin because we have the Holy Spirit in us. But, no. So, who can tell if God will turn relent and turn away from his fierce angle so that we may perish? And he saw their works and he turned from their evil ways. Chapter 4. Jonah's anger about God's forgiveness. You know, when, it, when you speak of forgiveness, it is amazing how much God, like I said, has patience with us, but it, he's just so forgiving no matter what you've done. I've known people on death row that many, many uh, some scholars spoke to, and on death row, they came to know God. You think of the thief and cross. He repented. He believed. God forgave him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I cannot understand forgiveness. I can't understand it. And Jonah should know. He knows the heart of God. He should know what forgiveness is. But it doesn't seem... I, I took this from... I'm going to throw this in for no extra charge. Corey Tunboom was a, a prisoner of war by the Nazis back in the 30s. Her sister got killed in the concentration camp. She became a great witness for Christ throughout her years. And I wanted to read something that I found, and I, it almost brought, it, it did bring me to tears. In mid-May 1945s, the Allies marched into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, Corey was still restless, and she desperately missed her beloved Betsy, that's her sister, who died. But now she remembers Betsy's words that they must tell others what they have learned about Jesus. Thus began more than three decades of traveling around the world as tramp for the Lord. If you ever see that book, get it. As Connie described herself, she told people her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the need for people to forgive those who have harmed them. That's the hardest thing to do, to forgive somebody that's harmed you. But yet we do. Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravenstruck one who had mocked the woman prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, A fine message, Fraulein. How good is it to know that you... As you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook, shaking, rather than take that hand out. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop that was swinged from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. 
he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time, I went on. When I read this, I'm, I'm actually saying this in German to myself, or I trying with the German accents to, to, to see what this guy sounded like, and I can almost hear it. It's like coming to life. But since then, he goes, I was a guard there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear from you, from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? As I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again had to be forgiven and could not forgive Betsy, forget, forgive Betsy, had died in that place, could he erase half slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that message that God gives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there from before the former SS man, Connie remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you need to supply the feeling. So Corey thrust out her hand, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started my shoulder, raced down my arm and into our joined hands, and then the healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the two guard and the former princess. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did that moment. And I read that, and I'm like, geez, do I have that type of forgiveness in me? Do we have that if something really bad happens to us, something you hurt somebody in the family or something? I, I know right now I don't. Is it possible? Yes. Because the same God who works in Jonah, who worked in Abraham and all the people throughout the Old Testament and New, is the same God who's willing to work in you. And that's the way it is. And so we're going to get into end this in, in, in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious, and I know that you are merciful, and I know that you're slow to anger, and I know that you're abundant in loving kindness. He knows all these things, and he's repeating it, but, but he does not, he is so stubborn here. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for is it better for me to die than to live? What is he thinking? Did he learn his lesson? Now, I think he's not really wanting to commit suicide. I think he's just so angry again. I think that he went outside the city to see if those guys were really going to repent or if they were going to get like, see, I told you, they weren't going to repent. I, I know what's going on. But no, he, Jonah still does not get it. Then the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Then he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade. So he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant. There's another thing God prepares. So now he's taking care of the disobedient son. Just like he takes care of us. He prepares, he gives us things we don't deserve. He prepares a plant. 
and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be shade for him, his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it was so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself. So he basically, he didn't care that the Ninevites got saved. He, he did, was cared about that plant. What's that all about? Then he wished death on him and said, is it, it is better for me to die than to live. He's just being a whiny baby here, if you ask me. He's not really wanting to die. He's just being a whiny baby who's not getting his way. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry. I could just sound like a little kid. It is right. Yeah, it is right for me to be right about the plant. But the Lord said, you have pity on a plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 who cannot discern from their right hand and their left and much livestock? You find later on that Nineveh, about 100 years, they go back to their other ways and are destroyed by the Babylonians, which is modern-day Iran. So you, we can repent of things. The church of Assyria is still alive today, so there is a remnant of that church, and I hope we, we all learn and apply something here today. I want to thank you for the time. What is the name of Corey Ten Moon's book? She has an autobiography, I think. The Hiding Place, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a really great read. I highly recommend it. What's amazing to me, um, still, studying the Bible all these years, is how completely relevant it is to today. I used to think growing up in an atheist home that the Bible was just an ancient book that you know was for back then, and this is now, the 21st century. And yet, millennia later, we have the exact same things happening. And guess what? That's what the Bible says. There is nothing new under the sun. It is the exact same situation, the exact same scenarios, with the exact same people because all have fallen short of the glory of God. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. We see Jonah as, as God's chosen servant for the hour, and yet we see his uh, weakness as well. And I thought Kevin did a great job of expounding on those different things. And a lot for us to be praying about, and I pray the Holy Spirit continues to bring the study to you this week as we're out in the world. And I was really convicted about a love for the lost. That was a personal conviction that the Lord spoke to me about this evening, because uh, Kevin is right. You know, I have a deep affection for everyone in this fellowship and my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't have that affection for the lost, but I know that Jesus does. So we're going to close this evening, which is a closing prayer. We're going to be praying next week. We have one more speaker, and then we'll be going into First Peter on Wednesday nights. So let's pray together and close. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, and nothing has shown us your grace quite like the book of Jonah does, Lord, your forgiveness and your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us and direct us this evening, continue to prosper us and lead us through this week, Father, and bring us back together again on Sunday morning. All these things we lift to you in your Son's name. Amen.